Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. Well, turn with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to continue on speaking on money. Everybody groan. Well, yeah, that was way too enthusiastic. <laughs> Either you wanted to have some fun there or you really are groaning. I'm not sure which that is. That's okay. This will be the third message um, in the series called The Money Box, all right? Now, why am I calling it The Money Box? Well, there's a reason. Um, remember the story in John chapter 12. In John 12, the Bible says that the, she came in and she broke the vial of perfume and she anointed the feet of Jesus and all of that. And, and Judas said what? Well, this money, that perfume could have been sold and that money given to the poor, right? And the Bible goes on and says what? That he did not say that because he was concerned about the poor, but rather he was a thief who used to pilfer from the money box. And I, began, and I was reading that verse one day, and I'm like, wow, it, it, it hit me that Judas was the money box holder. He was the steward of the money box for the ministry of Jesus and his disciples, right? And this money, some of it came from, uh, the Bible gives us some, an illustration in Luke, in Luke that said that afterwards he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Susa, and Herod Stewart, Herod Stewart, and Susanna. And many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So you have these people who are giving money to Jesus and his disciples. Do they continue to do ministry? And... Judas was in charge of the money box. How many know that was probably not a good pick? Just a thought. All right, and so this, this, and Judas was the steward of the money box of Jesus and the disciples. And what was he doing? Stealing from it, pilfering from it. Pilfering what was entrusted to him. Hindering the ministry, stealing from the ministry. And it hit me that we, believers, Disciples, how many of you here are disciples? Some of you are non-committal because you're not sure where it's going to go, right? That we are disciples of Jesus, called to do ministry with Jesus, right? And as kingdom people, we're to be stewards of the resources that he puts into our hands. And so I'm, the reason I call it this, and we'll talk about faith-based giving today, is I call it this because we should view the resources that God has put in our hands as the money box that we have been entrusted with to do the ministry of Jesus. Now, let me ask you, do you really believe that? Thank you for that rousing yes. I would suggest to you that it is absolutely the case because it was, it was his money before it was your money. It's his resources before it was your resources. And it's been entrusted to you. The parable of the talents was him entrusting the talents. The parable of the minas, him entrusting the minas. All right? And the question is, how do we use it? We are the keeper of the money box. It's in our possession. What are we doing with it? How are we doing with it? Are we using it to support the ministry of Jesus or are we continually pilfering it for our own needs? Boy, that's a hard term, isn't it? 
Oh, well. All right. If I wanted to be popular, I wouldn't preach about money unless it was to tell you how to get filthy rich. All right. All right. Are we continually using it for our own needs, wants, and desires? Right? And make no mistake about it. Part of the money in the box was for Judas. It was to be provided for the needs of Judas as well as the other disciples and Jesus. So I want to say to you this morning, how many of you know that the resources that God gives you, part of that is for you? It is for your needs. It is for your wants. God cares about your desires. It's okay to know that. All right? Therefore, remember what is entrusted to you is for you, but there is a portion that is to be used for his kingdom and his purposes. All right? So there's four reasons. I'm going to go over these each time I preach. There's four reasons I believe that I should preach on money, right? And I don't do it often. So if you're one of those ones, all I do is preach about money, you have not been here enough. If you're saying that, then you haven't been here prior to the last three weeks, all right? But one is the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. The reason that there's people being human trafficked in India is because it's money. It's money that is behind it. It is greed that is behind it. And I would say to you that the church, out of a love of Jesus, is the root of all righteousness. Love for Jesus will determine how we use and how we give the money in our possession. All right, and I believe that the church needs to make sure that we show a demonstration, a tangible demonstration of the love of Jesus by offsetting the world's love of money. Number two, money is used by the church to offset the spirit of mammon. The spirit of mammon was money being personified as a spirit called mammon. Right? And the fact of the matter is, you and I, the Bible says what? You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus said that. Now listen to me for a moment. I want to say two things, and I'm not going to get into a whole lot of details on this. Jesus did not preach what some would call today a prosperity message. But Jesus did not preach a poverty message either. Okay? He preached against selfishness. He preached against self-centeredness. He preached denial, he preached sacrifice, he preached self-denial, but do not think he ever preached against wealth. Wealth used right in the kingdom of God is a blessing from God to be used in the kingdom. But that's another message for another day, all right? Because I, I get irritated when I see one camp that says that, you know, they want to use it in a selfish way to gain wealth, that Jesus preached certain things. But then there's another group over here that wants to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say Jesus preached poverty. No, he didn't. But that's another message for another day, all right? But we need to understand that when we give, we are breaking and denying the worship of mammon, right? Number three, money is a tangible demonstration of the maturity in Christ. It's the fact. It, it, you just can't get away from that, right? The more mature I become in Christ, the more generous I have been. Give, I have been. How many of you know that children don't naturally share? They'll have moments of sharing, but they don't naturally share. How many of you have to teach them to share, teach them to be generous, right? All right, and, and so we need to understand something, that it is a tangible demonstration of maturity in Christ. And the fourth one I added this week is that we want to preach on money so that you are a blessing and you are blessed. Come on, how many want to be a blessing? Huh? How many want to be blessed? All right, the Bible says that when you give, you're blessed. Right? Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a few moments. I got a whole lot to say today in a little bit of time. Actually, really, I don't care about the time. All right? So, now, let me remind you of this. I believe 
again, that there are some who need to move into the faithful giving realm. Because what happens is you'll never experience the faithfulness of God until you begin to operate in the faithful giving. That sometimes you've got to give and you're giving faithfully and you're saying, I don't have it, but I'm going to give it anyhow because the Bible says this. And all of a sudden you come to encounter a faithful God. All right. Number two, there are those of us, some of us that need to move into the consistent giving realm where there's a consistency to our giving, not a hit and miss. How many of you would like to go to work and get a hit and miss pay? Some of you who are self-employed are saying you've been experiencing that, right? But nobody, nobody wants to be hit and mispaid. You don't want to go put 40 hours in and get, not get paid, all right? The fact of the matter is we need to move into a consistent giving realm. Paul talks about that in the Corinthians as well, all right? And then thirdly, there are some who need to move into a generous giving realm. That, again, you've learned to give according to the minimum. The minimum should never be the standard. It just shouldn't be, as far as grace-based New Testament giving. All right? Okay, now, let's talk about Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians. Let me, let me ask you this question for just a moment. When you think about, I, I don't understand sometimes, a lot of people, I've met Christians in the, the church, not just this church, the church, that believe in Paul's writings. How many of you believe in Paul's writings? How, how many of you believe justification by faith? that we're justified by faith? How, how many of you believe that we're saved by grace? How, how many of you believe that we are seated with him in heavenly places? How, how many of you believe that we begin with the right as adoption of sons? How, how many of you believe the writings of Paul, right? Where would we be without the writings of Paul that tells us our identity and our standing in Christ? And yet, how many who will stand on those will not apply the, standard, the writings of Paul when it comes to giving? If Paul's writings for salvation are sufficient, why is his writings on money not sufficient? Just a thought. So this morning, we're going to look at Paul's writings and talking about giving. All right? And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to take us to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 1. Paul begins with this. He says, for it is superfluous. What a great word, right? Superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. This word superfluous means to exceeding some number or measure or rank over and above and beyond. Supremely important. Something extraordinary. Something uncommon. Something with superiority or advantage. Something more remarkable. Something more excellent. How many of you think Paul's saying that it's really important that he writes to them about this? If, uh, he's saying this is just extremely important that I write to you about this ministry to the saints. And I want us to begin here. First of all, let us understand something. Giving is a ministry of the saints for the saints. When you look at Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians 9, they're receiving offerings and they're receiving these offerings on the behalf of other churches and other places and on behalf of the saints. I would suggest to you this morning that we are, how many of you know this morning we're the saints of God? Right? The Bible calls us saints. We are the saints of God. We're the set apart. We're the sacred. We are the children of God. We're the saints of God. And I would suggest to you this morning that our giving is still, in the year 2019, a ministry of the saints on behalf of the saints, for the saints. What do I mean? Well, I mean, I'll tell you something. This morning, we just gave some money, which was a ministry of the saints, to entrust into another saints to take to India on behalf of those saints. It's a ministry, all right? Listen to me. Let us understand giving is a ministry of blood-bought, born-again children of God who God calls saints. 
right? Uh, it's, that word to minister means to um, execute the command of another. How many know that when we give, we're executing the command of Jesus, right? It, it, it's to um, the administration rendered to others. It is the office, it talks about often of deacon. It talks about those who prepare and present food. Ministry, all of what we do is ministry and giving is a ministry of the saints for the saints. I would suggest to you, if I could talk about the church for a moment, that every offering we take is from the saints for the saints. Every week in this house, children are ministered to, saints. Every week in this house, adults are ministered to, saints. Teens are ministered to every week. Adults are ministered to. Benevolence happens through this body to the saints. Missions offerings go to saints abroad. I would suggest to you that we are operating as saints who are ministering in the are giving on behalf of other saints. Each and every week, people are fed. You know, let, me, let me remind you that because of your giving, because of this church, we subsidize the ministries at Hope Community $50,000 a year. All right, and there are people being fed, there are people being clothed, there are people that are getting hot meals, there are people getting groceries, there are people getting haircuts, there's a church over there, there are children being ministered to. We're, what are we doing? We are ministering as saints for the saints. So let us not lose sight of that. Giving is a ministry of the saint for the saints. So Paul says this. So Paul goes on and he says, so I thought it was necessary to urge the brothers that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would, not, that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. It's interesting what Paul said. Paul said, get it ready ahead of time. Prepare it ahead of time. I'm going to send some men to you so that it'll be ready, not affected by covetousness. Can I, you, you don't have to show your hands because sometimes we don't like to be honest in church. So has anybody here ever coveted anything that somebody else had? <laughs> I just, I'm just wondering. Like, like I, 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 I asked, I, I asked Ken this morning, what do you want? did he want the pulpit or not? And he said, no. I said, well, I still hide behind it because if I looked like Ken, I wouldn't hide behind the pulpit. So I coveted his, his shape already, all right? <laughs> like, like how many of you have ever saw somebody's car and you coveted it, their house and you coveted it? You know, and just on and on we go, we all have. Can we be honest and just say we've all coveted something? Can I, can I say we've all had our giving affected because of maybe the spirit of covetousness in our life? All right, um, and Paul says, your giving is affected, right? Which that word means a greedy desire to have more, right? It's a covetousness. How many know a greedy spirit will cause a stingy heart? A desire to have more may cause you to give less. But let me tell you what happens. But giving, giving offsets the spirit of covetousness. Let me tell you something. If you're dealing with greediness in your heart, if you're dealing with a covetous spirit in your heart, let me give you a suggestion. Give some money away. Give some money away. Give some money away. Because let me tell you what, it'll break it. It'll, it'll hinder it. It'll squash it. Because it will absolutely do a work, all right? We've all had that moment. Giving offsets a spirit of coveting, all right? Now, Paul goes on. And, and as he goes on, 
He says, he gives this principle. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now let me ask you a question. Can I get us all to agree this morning that Paul was talking about money? Can I get us all to agree? We're gonna use some terms sowing, we're gonna use reaping, we're gonna use the term seed, but can I get us all to agree that Paul is talking about money, right? Because I think that's important that we come to that agreement, all right? Now, okay, so he says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Hmm, okay, so let's talk about this. Sowing, how many of you know this morning sowing is a faith action? How many of you sick, distorted people planted a garden this year? <laughs> All right. Like you, you, plant, you literally went out, you dug up perfectly good ground, you weeded that ground, you, you tilled that ground, you dug holes, you put seeds in that ground, and now you're weeding that thing, you're watering that thing. Of course, in Pennsylvania, you don't have to do that often. Right? You're, 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 you're out there and you're watching it and you're waiting for it to grow when you could have perfectly well went to Weiss or Martins or somewhere and got the same thing. How many of you planted that garden and you planted that seed and you sowed the seed into the ground? How many know you're doing that by faith? You're doing that by faith with an expectation that something is going to grow out of that dirt. There's a faith action. Paul's talking about money. Paul says if you sow sparingly, that's what you're going to be. How many of you planted one carrot? Too many. <laughs> How many of you planted one onion? Nobody. Who does something like that? How many of you planted way too many tomatoes? Because every year I get somebody saying, I got Nancy. Nancy's always got 4,267 tomatoes to give away at the end of the year. Right? Because your reaping is proportionate to your sowing. All right? You can't get away from that. And let me tell you about sowing. It's faith-based, right? But sowing is outcome-based. I don't sow to sow. I sow to harvest. I, <laughs> let me tell you something. I hate gardening to begin with. But I ain't ever gardening if there ain't a harvest. I ain't ever digging up ground, planting seeds, and all that hard work if there's not going to be a harvest from it. I don't sow indiscriminately. I don't sow not to harvest. All right? That would be incredibly crazy. How many of you have invested money? Okay, it could be a reason why you haven't built some wealth. <laughs> Rick, do people invest money for, to, no, to get, not get a return? No, you invest money because you in, sow it so that you get a return on it. None of us sow without an expectation of a harvest. Let us understand something this morning. Paul said that sowing money is a faith of action, and when we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. When we sow, what? Bountifully, we reap bountifully. And so you and I have to understand something. We don't sow just to sow. We sow in faith with the full expectation. I think there's two things we're trying to accomplish. One is the expectation of being a blessing, and being blessed. Do you know why I like to sow? Because I like being a blessing. How many want to be a blessing? Don't you want to be a blessing? Isn't it fun to be a blessing? 
We would, some of you would smile more if you were a blessing. Like you, you, it, it would really be, okay? You know, and it's funny. We sow with the full expectation of being blessed, of being a blessing and being blessed. It's funny. That word bountifully, I believe it means, it means to praise, laudation of Christ or God, praise. It means um, an invocation of blessing, benediction, a benefit. Hmm. I'm going to be, the Bible's telling me, I'm going to be blessed when I am a blessing. When I sow in faith, when I sow seed, the Bible says that I can expect to be blessed. Right? There's nothing. How many of you want to be blessed? I got a, I got a recipe for you. Be a blessing. All right? You see, by faith, we are planting seed for an intended harvest, which is to be a blessing and be blessed. But let me talk to you about four types of blessings we get whenever we give. One is spiritual. How many, uh, uh, giving people are generally more spiritual people. Uh, you, you, uh, why? How many know you're operating by the whole counsel of the word and not part of it? How many of the word tells us how to give? How many know maturity is an indicator Giving is an indicator of spiritual maturity, all right? Secondly, emotional, right? Giving people are generally more joyful people. I'm gonna prove this to you in a moment. Mentally, giving people are often more mentally healthy. So if you wanna stop being crazy today, I'm just kidding you, right? And financially, giving people are blessed financially. Now watch this. You say, well, how do I know that? Well, first of all, I've watched it in action for years as a pastor. The, some of the most joyful people I know are giving people. Some of the most healthy people I know are giving people. But how many of you would take the Cleveland Clinic's word for it? Because they're a lot smarter than Pastor Jim. Some of you are noncommittal, all right? Here's what their studies have found. Their studies find the health benefits associated with giving. Lower blood pressure. There you go. Today you can have lower blood pressure <laughs> for a gift of $5,000. <laughs> I'm just having fun. Do not take that serious. Somebody said to me back there, I think it was Debbie, said, you know what I hate? I hate when people say your prayer will be answered if you'll give $1,000. I said, I would never do that here. I would never do it for a dollar less than 5000 <laughs> I'm having fun. Do not take me serious. Do not misquote me. Right? It's increased, it, that those who give have increased self-esteem. I'm not a big fan of self-esteem. I believe we need to have God-esteem. Okay, but at any rate, that's what they said. It, okay, another health benefit is it lessens depression. Selfish people are typically depressed people because it's all about them. Giving people find out, hey, there's a joy in this thing. Right? It lowers stress levels because you're not doing it out of worry and anxiety. This says they have longer life and greater happiness. How many would consider all those blessings of giving? Right? We sow in full expectation of being a blessing and at the same time being blessed. And again, I want to show you this same verse. 
I say this, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Why am I showing it again? Because let us remember this. Sowing is proportional to faith. Reaping is proportional to sowing. I cannot reap out of a garden if I didn't plant it. Unless I want to go to yours and steal it. Okay, I can sit there all I want in my yard and say, boy, I wish I could go out there and pick a carrot today. Boy, I wish I could pick a carrot today. I really wish I could pick a carrot today. I can't pick a stinking carrot out of my yard because I didn't plant a stinking carrot. Some of you want blessings you didn't plant. Some of us want to reap, but we never planted. You want more money, but you never give no money. I know, Pastor, you sound so hard today. I'm not being hard. I'm telling you what, there's a joy going to come over this house and the joy of giving. Just telling you, it's going to end up that way. I'll show you why in a moment. Right? Sowing is proportional to faith. Reaping is proportional to sowing. If you, I'm just telling you, if you want something to reap, you better do some sowing. Sowing in faith is not faith in me or my seed. It is faith in God. I'm going to show you what Paul said. You, you see, the reason I can sow in faith isn't because of me. I know my carnal, wicked heart. I know I just as soon keep the money. Right? I can spend it on golf balls. Or golf clubs. Right? But it's not about faith in me. It's not about faith in the seed. It's faith in God. Because look what the scripture says, Paul said. He said, now he, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Hey, you mean to tell me that God is gonna supply all my needs according to his riches and glory? Yeah. You mean that God is gonna supply the seed that he wants me to sow? Yeah. Do you mean that God will multiply the seed? Yeah. All right, because I tend to believe the word of God. You see, sowing in, all right, sowing is proportionate. Come on. Sowing is proportionate to our faith in God as the supplier of seed. Do you believe this morning that he is the one who supplies you with what you have? Or do you believe it's you that supplies it? Or do you believe that it's your employer that supplies it? Now, granted, we need to get paid. Don't get me wrong. Or do you believe, listen to me, I had to tell somebody this week in a very nice way that you're not our supplier. God is. It's because of some things that were being said, but another thing has nothing to do with our church. And I had to look at them and say, let me explain something to you. This is not an arrogant statement, but you're not our supplier. God is. Okay? And I want you to know something this morning. You're a blood-bought, born-again child of God. God is your supplier. God is your supplier. And, and the moment that you look at anyone else or anything else as being your, your supplier, you will fail to operate in faith because you don't have faith in him. You have faith in something that is of this world or someone of this world. God is the supplier, right? He's the supplier of seed. Sowing is proportionate to our faith as God as the supplier of bread. What's bread? Bread's a daily need. How many know food is a daily need? Well, I could go a few days without some. I could maybe look like Ken in another three years. 
you know, it's proportionate. Because understand something. Sometimes we say I can't give because I got these needs. But the Bible tells me my daily needs are met by my God. My daily needs are met by him. My daily needs, my daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. All right? So understand something this morning. Not only is he a supplier of the seed that I sow, he is the supplier of the needs I have. He is a supplier of the bread that I need, the daily needs that I have. How many of you can say this morning that all of your needs have been met? How many, can, how, many can, how, many, how many of us would say all of our wants haven't been met? Oh, fine. All of your wants have been met? Fine. Here, you preach. <laughs> I got some selfish desires that I haven't had met. Right? But I don't have a need that hasn't been met. When it comes down to the actual needs of life, I don't have one that has not been met. Where's your faith at? Sowing is proportionate to our faith in God as the multiplier of the seed. Paul said he supplies it and he multiplies it. Crazy, isn't it? Isn't it crazy how God operates? Why would he multiply my seed? Because I've been faithful with the seed he already gave me. Why would he multiply unfaithful seed? I told you this story months ago during an offering. One day I was going to Big Lots because whenever I want to buy toys for the kids, we go to the Big Lots. So Carson and I are going to Big Lots one evening. We go in there and Carson wants to get us some kind of little toy. Okay, all right. And she says to me, Pappy, Pappy. I said, yeah, baby. We got to get something for the boys too. Actually, it was just Carson and I going for her at that moment. And then all of a sudden she said, Pappy, we, we got to get something for the boys too. I'm like, oh, I was hoping to get out of here cheap, right? And, and so, okay, well, I'll pick them out something. So she picks them out. Each one of them gets a toy and we put them in the bag. I pay for it. I go home and we get to the house and she's all excited. She gets out of the car. She's got, I'm happy, I'll take the bag. I'll take the bag. All right, here, you take the bag. And she runs in the house and she says, oh, boys, look what I got you. Wait, wait, wait a minute here. Now, I didn't say anything, but I'm thinking, wait, 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 wait look what I got you? Excuse me, I believe that was my money, not your money. But see, I gotta tell you, there was a part of me that took really great joy in the fact that this little girl didn't go to the store only thinking of herself, but she thought of her brothers. So Pappy provided her with money so that she could be a blessing to her brothers. And I will promise you, because she was that, Pappy will be a blessing to her another time in the future so she can take Pappy's money, which is his seed given to her, so she can become a blessing once again. How many of you think God might work like that? But I'm telling you, had she gone home and she said, boys, look at the three gifts I got. I'd have been like, what? You selfish, wicked servant. <laughs> Remember that story? Right? No, why? I got to give to that heart. I got to bless that heart. I've got to empower and enable that heart to continue to sow. And I really believe God does that. It's proportionate. He's the multiplier. I was the multiplier of it for her. You see, but I got to remember, I want to remind you what the scripture said though and why does God do that? Why does he multiply that seed? All right? 
because sowing in faith brings a multiplication of seed for sowing. Remember what the scripture said? That he will multiply your seed for sowing. He will multiply your seed for sowing so that I can sow some more seed. So I can sow some more seed, not multiply my seed so I can sit and eat the fruit and get fat and sassy and not ever give again. I'm gonna multiply your seed for sowing. It's a crazy thing, is it not? Like you plant fruit that has seed in it, all it does is produce more seed. Like look at an apple. Look how many seeds are in an apple. From one apple, planted from one apple seed. And look at how many apples end up on a tree. And look how many seeds come from each apple. It's a crazy number. Paul's talking about money. He's talking about sowing. Sowing is a faith action. Reaping is proportionate to faith. Reaping is proportionate to, 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 to sowing. But sowing is faith in him, the supplier. Faith is sowing. Is, is faith in, is in him, the supplier and the multiplier of the seed. And then he goes on and he says this. Each one must do as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Ha, ha, ha. Let's all give. Ha, ha, ha. We're going to start doing that at offering time. Everybody, they're going to receive our offering. Everybody go, ha, ha, ha. Let's practice. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, some of you aren't too bad. Right? Hmm. You see, each one must do as he's purposed in his heart. Let me talk about that. Giving, sowing is to be done with a cheerful heart. I will promise you, if my wife makes me plant flowers or a garden, it is not done in cheerfulness. I hate every moment of it. I hate it. Despise it. But giving money, I like to do. Sowing that seed, I like to do. But let me talk to you about how do I develop a cheerful heart in giving? How many know that our heart, the Bible says, is deceitfully wicked from childbirth? How many know my heart doesn't naturally tend towards cheerful giving? Right? How many know my heart needs to be transformed by the word of God? That, that my mind needs to be renewed by the word of God so that the truth of God's word forms my thinking and forms my affections. How many of you believe that the word of God can form your affections? Thank you, George. How many of you believe you can come to love the things that God loves? How many of you want to love the things that God loves? And when you come to love the things that God loves, it is transforming your heart and you will give differently because you're giving from, to something that your heart has been transformed by the affections of God. And now it's like, yeah, I can give to a missions in, in India. I can give to this and I can give to that. Why? Because it's God's heart and I'm happy to join with him. And he's changed my affections. It's not about me. Zacchaeus had a change of heart because of Jesus. And so I would suggest to you this morning that for some of us who want to give more cheerfully, get in the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about giving? And I'll bet you it'll begin to change your heart and have your mind renewed, right? Because, because why is that important? 
is that just as the heart establishes what the mouth says, the heart establishes what the hand gives. When I give grudgingly, I give far less than when I give cheerfully. When I give with joy because of the heart of God, I always give more than when I give grudgingly. How many have ever, many have ever done that? Oh, man, we're going to take an offering. Oh. You might have done it today. <laughs> Some of you aren't even looking at me now. My <laughs> one's all of a sudden writing the check, hitting the debit card. Whatever it is now, it's so much easier whenever you're sharing God's heart because it is the heart that will determine what the hand gives. Just as the Bible says that out of the abundance of a heart, a man's mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of my heart, my hand gives. Now watch what Paul says. And Paul keeps going on. For this ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. So giving of the saints, giving is a ministry of the saints for the saints caused by the thanksgiving of the saints. How do you give how, how are we thankful to God and not wanting to be givers for God? Hmm? Let us remember what he has done for us. Let us remember that he went to a cross for us, that he sent his son to a cross for us, who died for us, took our penalty upon himself, intercedes for us, so that we can have life and joy now and in eternity. How many of you know this morning that we should be the most thankful people on the face of the earth? Paul says, giving is a ministry to the saints and it's for the saints and it flows out of thanksgiving of the saints because thankful hearts produce giving hands. When my heart is thankful, my hands give better. Sometimes we need to remember how grateful we need to be. Amen? Last slide, I'm almost done. Say praise God. The seeds you have is the seed you sow. The seed you sow is the fruit that you reap. The fruit you reap holds the seed for what you'll sow next. Do you believe that principle? So Paul said, now, let me close this with this, right? There, there, there's a, a, a summertime treat that I just love, that I just love. I love to eat cherries, like the Bing cherries, the sweet cherries. I love those things. I ate a whole bag yesterday. It was awesome. Matter of fact, let me tell you something. I was actually hiding them from the kids, right? I, I, I love them. They're just awesome. You know, you bite one off, chew it up. Throw the seed away. Oh, it's just wonderful. They hit me. Come on, Troy. Everybody say, that's a, that's a glimmer of hope. I mean, you know when I say, come on, Troy, that's a glimmer of hope. But, but, but so, so I began to think about this. I said, well, 
What would happen if I, like, I'm eating these cherries, but what would happen if I want to grow a cherry tree? Now, I live in the wrong place to grow these cherry trees somewhat, but, you know, there are cherry places around here. And so I began to think about this. So what would happen is I would, first of all, begin to save the pits from the cherries that I just devoured. And then, the, and then, and then the, 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 it told me that I need to put them in a bowl of warm water, right? I, I'm just going to let you know I'm not going to do any of this. All right? I'm just telling you if I wanted to. And then you let those pits soak for five minutes or so. And then you lightly scrub them off of that, any of that clingy fruit. And, and, okay? Then you take those same pits and you spread them out on a paper towel in a warm area and let them dry for three to five days. And then you transfer them to a plastic container. You label it and you fit it and you put it on a tight lid. And then you put it in the refrigerator for 10 weeks. Good Lord. All right. Now, there's a reason you do that and I won't get into all that. Once those 10 weeks pass, then you allow them to come to room temperature. And now you're ready to plant the cherry seeds. So you put two or three of those pits into a small container filled with a planting soil and water and you keep it moist. When they are about, the, the seedlings are about two inches tall, you thin them, you remove the weakest plants and you leave the sturdiest among them and you put it in a sunny area indoors until all the danger of frost has passed in your region. Then you transplant them outside. If nothing else, you'll know how to grow a cherry tree today. All right, and then multiple trees should be planted at least 20 feet apart. Now, you'll need at least two or three trees. And I'll tell you why in a moment. Now, what happens is cherry trees generally begin to produce cherries in the fourth year. You mean I've done all this work and I don't even get a cherry to four years? Listen to me this morning. There are some times you receive a blessing from giving and it's not for years later. Sometimes it's when you need it most. I've seen those testimonies. I've heard those testimonies. One mature standard sized cherry tree will produce 30 to 50 quarts of cherries each year. Hmm. 30 to 50 quarts of cherry each year from one tree. And how many know every one of those cherries that are produced has a seed that can be sown again? Listen to me. And I began to think about that. Now, then it hit me. I need two or three trees. Mm. And you plant them about 20 feet apart. And the reason you need two or three trees is because they tend to pollinate each other. Hmm. Hmm. They, they actually feed each other so that they can grow the cherries. I, it hit me. Do you know what I think happens in the body of Christ? Givers start helping others become givers. That all of a sudden in the body of Christ, we can begin to cross-pollinate with each other, causing more fruit than we've ever seen before because we all are now sowing and reaping and we're cross-pollinating. Let me tell you what I'm going to do in the upcoming weeks of this house. I am going to be sharing with you, people who are going to be sharing with you, testimonies of the God who has blessed them through their sowing and reaping. And I don't do that. Listen to me. I am not a manipulator of money. I am a vision caster and I expect people to give to their vision. 
And I don't manipulate, I don't coerce, but I will not shy away from the truth of God's Word if it offends somebody. The fact of the matter is, money, listen to me, there's many people who talk about spiritual battle, spiritual warfare, and dismiss the money part of it. When we are using our money for the kingdom of God, it is a blow at the enemy. When we are using our money for the kingdom of God, it is a spiritual blow at the enemy. It is a spiritual blow against the spirit of mammon. It is a spiritual blow against the evil who uses the love of money as the root of all evil. And we need to understand if we're going to fight a spiritual fight, we do it on our knees. We do it with our mouth. We do it in our prayers. We do it in our worship. We do it in our praise. And we do it with our checkbook. I don't apologize for that. And so we're going we're gonna to cross-pollinate this orchard. Because I mean, no, that's what it is. And so I say to you this morning that you and I are the keeper of the money box. We're stewards of what God has put in our possession. And if we're going to be good stewards of it, we're going to have to understand the sowing and reaping principle. And we're going to have to understand faith-based giving. And faith-based giving is sowing and reaping. Faith-based giving is faith in God as my supplier. God is my need meter. This God is my multiplier. That's faith-based giving. Listen to me this morning. Do not allow the charlatans in the body of Christ. There are charlatans in the body of Christ who manipulate and coerce and use people. Paul talked about them. And they're still alive and well today. But do not allow them to rob you of the blessing of faith-based giving and sowing and reaping. Do not allow that. I'm promising you that if you will operate in this gift, if you will operate in giving, if you will operate in faith-based giving, it will unlock blessings in your life because that's what the Bible says. Can I get an amen? So, Father, this morning I, I'll come and I, I just ask you to take your word and make and just 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 allow it to penetrate our hearts. And no matter the stuff we've heard that we hate, the stuff we heard that we don't like, the stuff that charlatans and grifters have used, we want to stand on what the word of God says. And this morning we say we're going to be sowers and we're going to be reapers because the Bible says I can be that. We're going to do that because you are the supplier of my seed. You are the multiplier of my seed. You are the one who meets my needs. And so my faith today, my giving by faith, comes through you. Father, I pray blessing this morning. I pray blessing. That giving makes us a blessing and we receive blessing. Let it be a truth that we stand upon. The same, the same way we stand upon justified by faith. The same way we stand upon saved by grace. The same way we stand, about, stand upon I'm a child of God. The same way we stand on other biblical principles that we would stand upon this principle and we would not be moved by the affections of this world. So Father, today, drive it deep into our heart so that we and sow and reap according to what the Bible says. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, stand up with me. Troy, what do you got? Close this in the song.